that. This morning, um, my plan, uh, ill-fated though it may have been, was to just continue with where we were at in, uh, in Ephesians, and I think we'll get to Ephesians uh, in, in a little bit here. Um, but I just want to talk to you a little bit about uh, what's coming up here in the, in the upcoming weeks. Um, so let's, let's go back for just a second. How many of you, uh, we, we haven't done this issue, you know, you see a lot of times on TV, they'll do kind of a review of the past year. 2018, all these things happened, and then we're going to celebrate New Year's. And 2019, all these things are going to happen. Well, 2020, we had a lot of garbage that happened, right? I got to tell you, I did not see one place on TV, not one place where anybody said, hey, let's look at what happened in 2020. Nobody did that, right? Did you see it? I didn't see it. Let's look at some of what happened in 2020. Starting along about February, most people started wearing masks, right? COVID things started happening. And then we had riots, and we had chaos, and then we were just going to flatten the curve. Well, instead of flattening the curve, we've moved on now to, I don't know, who knows when, how long, how much. There's a lot of chaos. Then we got into the election season. I'm obviously skipping a lot, but we went through the election season, and that really has not come to complete resolution yet. Um, in the next, here, so here's what brought me to this this morning. Um, we have a, a, an inauguration coming up in a, in a few days, and somebody just showed me this morning again a quick, hey, look, they're, they're putting more fences up around the Capitol building and around the White House, and now they're even taller and we've got National Guard sleeping inside of the White House. This is, you know that nobody's making that up, right? Do we know that nobody's making that up? I mean, they're really putting fences around the White House. They're really putting fences around the Capitol. There really are, have, last report I heard, 1,500 National Guards been deployed and on and around the grounds sleeping, actually sleeping in the Capitol building, Right? That's what's going on. But what does that tell you about the inauguration that's coming up is they are anticipating problems, right? Kind of sounds that way, doesn't it? You don't usually deploy the, deploy the National Guard unless you're expecting some problems. What does that do for us? Well, here's what it does for us. This is what I, I believe. And, and what I'm trying to do is not instill fear. As a matter of fact, if you look at the 23rd Psalm, the 23rd Psalm speaks about God leading his sheep into calm waters, by calm waters, in green pastures by calm waters, where they can lay down and rest. So this morning as I was preparing, I thought to myself, you know, part of my job as a pastor is to lead sheep in green pastures and by calm waters and help you be able to rest and sleep and not have fear. The, um, some, some local authorities that I've been listening to, local uh, legal authorities, are saying that, you know, it'd be wise to have a couple days of provisions. It'd be wise to have a little bit of water. It'd be wise to have your gas tanks full. Because of fear, no, but we would have never believed, you'd have never believed two years ago that there was going to be riots in Fargo that would cause a million dollars worth of damage. I would have lost money on that bet, I'm here to tell you. Somebody had said, hey, I got a tip. This is what's going to happen. You bet yourself some money on this, you're going to make it. I'm like, nah, I don't, no, I'd have lost money on that. We wouldn't have believed it. And so what, what I'm hearing is, you know, prepare yourself a little bit. 
I'm not talking about mass chaos. I'm not talking about riots. But what I am talking about is some kind of a disturbance down at the Capitol, some kind of uh, rioting in Minneapolis could affect... Have you anybody here been to Menards lately? Is it just me and Jim? Okay, some of us go to Menards. Sometimes we end up in the back of Menards, back picking up a truckload of lumber. And you realize that a lot of that lumber is not there. They still have not caught up from the quote-unquote pandemic that started earlier this year. So it's not there. I went to build a deck for my daughter this year, and just to frame it in, I needed uh, some green-treated uh, two-by-tens, 12 feet long, and I couldn't get two-by-tens. I could only get two-by-twelves. I couldn't get green-treated. I could only get brown-treated. I couldn't get 12 feet long. I could only get 16 feet long, and what that means is an extra $500 in framing. That's what that means. They didn't have the supplies. Now, it's not my intent to scare anybody. It's my intent to say, you know what? Have peace. Our peace does not come from the situation that is around us. We do not know what's going to happen in the next week, week and a half, two weeks, when it comes to Inauguration Day. We don't know that. So have yourself a little bit of extra fuel. Have yourself a little bit of extra water. Have yourself, you know what? Great thing to do with that stimulus check is cash it, tithe on it, and then put the rest of it in a drawer. I like the tithing part, but then put the rest of it in a drawer and just set it aside. Because guess what? If absolutely nothing happens, that money will still spend two weeks after, three weeks after. That water you use will still, you can still drink. There's no problems with that. Listen to what, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of conflicted here. Listen to what the, it's not should I read a psalm, it's which psalm should I read? One of my favorites is Psalm 27. Listen to what David says. It says, The Lord is the light of my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Who am I going to fear? It doesn't make any difference what goes on during inauguration weekend. Maybe it does, but I don't have to be afraid. I don't have to worry. I I don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. The Lord is the stronghold of our life. Guess what? Church is not the stronghold of your life. You can grab hands, hold on to the neighbor next to you. You can. I, when I was a kid one time, my pastor in Hibbing, there was this young teenage couple, and they just started dating, just started dating. It wasn't, they, were, they were 17, 18. They just started dating. And they were standing in the back of the church, and he's like, watch this. Like, all right. So he, she, he's standing here, and she's standing there. And the pastor walks up between them, and he gently grabs her hand. <laughs> and he reaches over, and he gently grabs the boy's hand. Now the boy and the girl think they're holding each other's hand. And so the boy squeezes a little bit, so the pastor squeezes a little bit. And the girl squeezes back, and so the boy squeezes back. And they both turn about the same time and look at him and go, Ah! Church is not the stronghold of your life. Your pastor is not the stronghold of your life. Whoever you're squeezing hands with is not the stronghold of your life. The Lord is the stronghold of our life. Amen? 
that's the stronghold. He's the anchor. He is our hope. Of whom shall I be afraid when evil men advance against me? This is David talking. And he literally had armies of men seeking after him. And uh, uh, when evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies uh, and my foes attack me, they will stumble. They will fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. If your hope and your trust and your confidence is in the Lord Jesus Christ, then all that other stuff is going to fall away. It can't get hold of you. Folks, what is the worst possible thing that could happen to me? Somebody walks in the back door and shoots me dead. And I get to be with Jesus. I get to be with Jesus. You all got to deal with it, but I get to be with Jesus. Right? I'm not going to say sign me up, but hey, you know. When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they're going to stumble. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war breaks out against me, even then I will be confident. Only one thing I ask of the Lord. This is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord to seek him in his temple. That is what David's crying out for. You know when you go on vacation, I think about this, I've been on mission trips and we've had missionaries come here. And the one missionary in particular was like, oh, you know, I, I miss Haiti. Oh, I miss home, I miss home, I miss home. I've been to his home. I've been to his home. I've been to where the walls are falling down where there's no food in the house. I've been into his home. I've been up to the mission field. I've seen the disaster that they're living in. Guess what? He isn't missing his house. When I go on a trip or when, I go, when I've gone away on missions and I, and I decide, you know, oh, I can't really kind of miss home. It's not my drapes that I miss, right? It's not the couch, although I like my couch. It's not the couch that I miss. It's not even the food that I miss. What am I really missing? I miss my wife. I miss my kids. I miss my grandkids. I miss the relationships. That's what I'm missing. David says here that he wants to dwell in the house of the Lord and gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. When we go, when we finally stand before the Lord, it's going to be like, man, we're home, not because of heaven. Heaven's going to be great. Streets of gold, that's going to be great. Light radiating out of every place, that's going to be great. Angels, angels are going to be a kick. All kinds of that stuff is going to be great. I've heard people talk about experiences where they experience heaven, and the one guy said, as I walked across the grass, I turned back, and all the blades of grass were standing up behind me. All that's going to be great. But you know what's really going to be great? Jesus. That's what this is about, Right? It's about him. No more sickness, no more disease, no more death, no more fear, no more longing, no more anger. We're in his presence. So when I say there may be chaos, let it happen. Nothing you're going to do about it. Be anchored in Christ. You know, when we're anchored in Christ, we no longer have to... Okay. Ready? When we're anchored in Christ, we no longer have to turn to other things to fill and satisfy our heart and give us comfort. Right? Like the refrigerator. Oh, you know, we, we wouldn't admit to it. But we get under stress and we turn to food. My daughter Zoe. Uh, something happened to my granddaughter Elena. It would be her niece. 
And so Elena's crying, and I'm like, here, Grandpa's going to give you a cookie. That's going to make it feel better. And Zoe's like, great, great. Teach her that her comfort comes from food. Thanks, Dad. Great job. <laughs> Sorry. We take comfort from so many things. We really get amped up. We really can't take it. We get under the pressure. We turn to alcohol. We turn to drugs. We turn to other people. We turn to Jesus said, I want to be your stronghold. Me. Me. I want to be. I am the anchor of your life. I am the stronghold. We see chaos around us. Don't put your hope and your confidence and your trust. You know, there's all kinds of, of stories throughout the Old Testament accounts uh, where God provided supernaturally for his people. One time, he, said, he, he gave dreams to a king, and he saw all this. He didn't know what he was. He saw all this, this grain and grain and grain, and then he saw nothing. And the interpretation was, store up. There's going to be seven years of feast and seven years of famine. So they stored up, and when they stored up, all the people from all over the world came there. There are other times when there was needs, and God used ravens. He used birds, birds to bring food and drop it down for people. And God actually used Kellogg's back in the day. It's called manna. It was frosted flakes. I don't know. They said it looked like the birth of Kellogg's back in... Go on, just gather up enough for today. We're so worried about all kinds of things, folks. We put our, our hope and our trust and our confidence and our anchor is in Christ Jesus and Him alone. And I know that fear can overwhelm us. I get that. But the 23rd Psalm says that God's going to lead us by, by green pastures and calm waters. And we're going to be able to get rest right there. If you've got any angst in your spirit, any angst in your soul, I'm going to tell you to turn to Christ. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. You'd have to understand some of the 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 conversation that's going on there, but for a military to be on a high rock, that's the place of advantage. He's setting you up on a high rock. You've got, you've got the advantage. He's going to set you in his temple. You're, you're protected by the temple guard, by his temple guard. Then my head will be exalted above all my enemies who surround me at his tabernacle. I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Somebody's singing and making music. Does that sound like they're under attack? When was the last time you felt really under attack and you said, I should sing? If not, if not, if not, here's a lesson for you. You ought to. You ought to. We ought to let God fight our battles, right? Instead of deciding we're going to take them all on ourselves. God, this is a little over my head. It's time to sing. Just saying. Just saying. Hear my voice when I call the Lord. Be merciful to me and answer me. My heart says of you. My heart says of you. My heart, deep inside me, I know that my heart, he's not talking about the blood pumping muscle in your chest, by the way. He's talking about the seat of your emotions. He's talking about where every decision gets made, where you, where you, where you grind it out, where you really, where you really, you, 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 what is really going on inside. And here he says, my heart says, seek his face. 
Your face, O Lord, will I seek. Do not hide your face from me. Don't turn away from your servant in anger. You have been my helper. Do not reject or forsake me, O God, my Savior. Though my father and my mother, they forsake me, the Lord will not. Teach me your way, O Lord. Lead me in a path, in a straight path because of my oppressors. Do not turn me over to the desire of my foes. For false witnesses will rise against me, breathing out violence. This is David. I, I am still confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord. This is one of my favorite verses when I do funerals. One of my favorite. I am confident of this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Take heart and wait for the Lord. Okay, none of that's in my notes. I'm just telling you this morning that we have a hope and we have a life and we have a peace in Jesus Christ that you can't find anywhere else, regardless of the turmoil that's around us. Now, let's turn to the book of Ephesians. The book of Ephesians, we were um, looking at Ephesians chapter 1 last week. And if you will recall, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul kind of lays out this, right in the beginning, he lays out this list of, of, of things that we have in Christ. He, he lays out, he's not praying for these things, he's just acknowledging that they're there. And then he moves on from there, and he goes into this, this prayer. So Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 14, I've heard this said before. It's one thing to listen to what a man says. You can listen to a man, what he says all day. But as soon as you hear his prayers, you know what's really on his heart. Right? You know what's really going on. How's life going? Oh, it's good, it's good, it's good. Everything's fine. Everything's ducky. And then you find that when he's praying, he's really praying, oh, God, help me keep it together. Oh, God, I need help here. Oh, God, I need help there. So listen to what Paul prays in Ephesians chapter 1. For this reason, what reason? The reason starts in the first 14 verses of the chapter where he refers to being in Christ, by him, through him. All things are accomplished in Christ. Folks, that's where we are as a church. If you believe in Jesus, if you say he's my Lord and Savior, if you say, you know what, I accepted what Jesus did on my behalf, you are in him. You recognize redemption through him. It's not about what you do, it's not about what I do. But it's about being in him. Verse 15, for this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. He moves on to verse 17. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. He said, I know that you're believers. I know that you've chosen to follow Jesus Christ. But my prayer is not just that you would know him, but that you would know him better. Know him better. We're going to come back to that. Then he prays this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparable greatness for those who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength 
which he exerted when he raised Christ Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above rule and authority and power and dominion and every title that can be given that is invoked not only in this present age but also in the one to come. Man, we could spend a month right there just on those couple of verses. What do you know about yourself in Christ? What do you know about yourself in Christ? I wish I could tell you how often I deal with people who have struggles. It's certainly on a weekly basis, not on a daily basis, but on a weekly basis. People who have all these struggles in their life, and my heart is that, God, if they would just see where they're at in you, if they would just recognize it, their heart could be open and they could see that most of the troubles that they're bringing on, they're bringing on themselves. Most of this is based out of selfishness. Most of this is based out of wanting to have their way. They're not, they're not walking in, in you. And that's what Paul is praying here. He's saying, you know, you can be alive in Christ. You can have your eyes open and you can be blind at the same time. We can be enlightened. We can know Jesus. That's what he's saying to the church here. I know your faith. I know who you are. I just pray that your eyes would be open so you'd really understand what you have to give. The heart of that prayer is that you would know him better. That it's the whole essence that our eyes would be open to know Christ better. Paul's central request is, God, I know these people know you but they need to know you deeper. They need to to know you on a level that sees beyond where we're at. The Greek language gives us a number of different words that might be translated as know. But this particular verb, this particular verse right here, what it means is to know you better, to know him in in a deep, personal, intimate way. We need to be we need to be kind of careful with that term deep because sometimes we think of like super spiritual stuff. That's not deep at all. You know, how many of you know who our governor is? If you saw a picture, if you saw a picture, you'd know who our governor is. Yeah, that's him. How many of you saw a picture of President Trump would say, yeah, I know that's President Trump. How many of you know Governor Walls? How many of you know President Trump? You might know his policies. You might think you know his stuff. We don't know him, right? It's different for me when I say, I know my president or I know my wife. We've been married 33 years. I should know a little bit more about, I should see that look across the room when it's like, it's time to go. We've been here long enough. It's time to go. I recognize that look. I even recognize those looks in my kids, like, he's going there, he's going there again, they're going again. We recognize, we actually know them. Paul says, I want you to know Jesus that way. I want you to know God that way. He, by the way, just so, that you, just so we're clear, God isn't holding anything from us. He isn't holding anything back. It's a matter of how much we want to know him. How much are we willing to push in and lay some of the other stuff aside and say, God, show me 
show me what you're thinking in this process. I don't get it. I'm not sure why we're going down this road. Sure, we know who our governor is. Sure, Paul says, I know that you know God. I get that you've accepted Christ. What I want you to do is I want you to know him. In the first 14 verses, Paul is putting the truth out there. This is who you are in Christ. In the next 15 verses, he's pulling those things in. He's, he's praying them out there. He's saying, this is who, he's just putting them out there. This is who you are in Christ. The next verses are pulling those in, praying them in. You walk in those. Begin to walk in those things. I want you to know that you're blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. How many, you don't have to raise your hand. But in the last couple of years, God has begun to, to move in my life, in particular in the area of gratitude. Things that I, I've taken for granted. I walk into my shop and I go, thanks, Lord, I got a shop. I used to plow my driveway, but the first part of my driveway is uphill. And that was always the longest, the shortest part of my driveway, but it's, it was always took the longest to plow. And for some reason, the county guys decided, you know, Turning around at the top of your driveway is a lot easier than turning down at the bottom of your driveway. So they come and they plow that section of my driveway. I never asked anybody for it. And you might think, well, so what? So what? I don't have to do it. It's the worst part of my driveway. I drive out of my driveway. Every day I get to that part and I go, thank you, Lord. Even in the summertime, I find myself going, thank you, Lord. I don't have to plow this part of my driveway. I thank you. I don't have to do that. Because we begin to change the way we look at things when we get a heart of gratitude. Regardless of the difficult things, you get a heart of gratitude and you begin to understand who God is. We start to see things His way. We start to, to see that, you know, this world is, 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 is so much bigger and so much smaller. It, there's so much around us and yet and yet in God's eyes, it's just, a, oh, it's just a puff. It's just a, we really need to get a hold of that. Paul says, I'm not, I'm not giving you new truth. I just want you to grab the truth that you live in that's already there for you. Grab the fact that you're blessed with every spiritual blessing. How many times have you, have you grumbled to God? Oh, God, I want this or I want that or I'd like to pray for this. I'd like to pray, blah, blah, blah. And God's like, do it. You got it. You got this. Every spiritual blessing. I don't think you get it. I don't think I get it. Every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus is ours because we're in him. Every spiritual, this is Jesus. And when I am in him, everything that he is I am. That should preach. We, we have hope. We have peace. We have life. We have joy. It's, it's in him. We're told to put on Christ. There's not a mother in here who's not going to look at her little kid today. When they go outside, you go, put on your jacket. Put on your boots. Put on, your, put on your, 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 your gloves. Put on your hat. You need to remind yourself, put on Jesus. We need to be in Him. Because when we're in Him, where is the fear? 
When we're in him, where is the lack? When we're in him, where is the loss? Where is the anxiety? My, I, I told you this last week. And my mom just passed away, and it's like she's attained the goal of her faith. She, she's got it. She's there. I, I can't, it's, it's crazy, but I can't be sad about that. The gratitude outweighs the grief. I read a story of this guy who went through a great struggle, and in his story, he didn't tell what that struggle was. I don't know what it was. But he said, I have discovered this. There are three levels of knowing God. The first level is the level of experience. All of us who have met the Lord at some point or another, we've had this experience in our life that's brought us to the point of accepting Jesus. I think many times we've, we've gone through our own personal struggle. Life has beat us up and the enemy has done what he's done and we've come to that point where we've just recognized, you know what, I, I really need Jesus. We've had that experience. The second level, he says, is this level of knowledge. This from, comes from going to church, listening to sermons, reading the Bible, reading good books, even going to a Christian college or seminary. Most of us consider this knowledge the higher level of spiritual life. We can quote scriptures. We know where that's at in the Bible. We've got that. Then he says, this is the life that I tried to work from, but it did not seem adequate. He said, but there is a third level, which is called the level of wisdom. This level comes only by prayer. It comes by worshiping. We begin to see things through God's eyes and less through our eyes. Peace only comes from this level. It's not measurable, explainable, nor understandable because it's about knowing Him more. Levels one and two are not prerequisites. Then he says, I see prayer and knowing Him lifting illiterate people to great levels of peace and great levels of wisdom where a PhD and religion may feel empty. Our prayers, when we get to this point, become less give me and more help me. Help me see what it is you want me to learn through this. It deepens my relationship with you. God invites us to seek his face. He wants us to know him better. It's not as if God is hiding himself from us, but rather, what have we chosen to busy ourselves with rather than seeking him? I believe that we can have that relationship with God, but it's when we seek him. It's not just going to fall on you. Most of you did not walk by the closet this morning and all of your clothes just fell on you, right? You didn't just step out of the shower and walk past the dresser and, whoop, you're done, right? You had to put some clothes on, right? Many of us had to do our hair, not me. Many of us had to do makeup, but not me. But that stuff doesn't just happen, right? You have to put that on, right? 
We have to step into it. We have to seek it. We say, God, this is what I want in my life. I need to understand you better. What about this struggle that I'm going through, God? What about the struggle that I keep going through and I keep going through and I keep going through? What am I missing in my life? What do, you, what do I need from you? What am I not hearing, God? Sometimes those answers come quickly. Sometimes those answers come through travail. But Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart might be open. We don't have to walk in fear. We don't have to walk in anxiety. There's there's something in our soul that God wants to open up that the, the eyes of our heart, that's what Paul, that's the means by which we're going to get to know him is that the, the eyes of our heart would be flooded with light in, in uh, verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 18, the first half. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. I want you to understand, this is the only time in Scripture, in the New Testament, where we see that phrase, the eyes of your heart. The only time. It's significant. It's the only time it appears. And again, he's not referring to the blood-pumping muscle in our chest. He is referring to what we might call the real you, that place where decisions are made, the seat of our emotions. The heart is where you decide the values. You decide values of your life in your heart. That's where that's at. And Paul said, I want the values. I want, I want your heart to be so enlightened that you choose me, that you walk in me. Every important decision that you make our, our, our eyes can be open and our eyes can be shut. When eyes get a hold of this, according to what Paul's praying there, when we've chosen to close off our heart, what we're choosing to close off is the light of God in our heart, how God wants to move in us, what we believe, what we seek, what we find, where we're after. We can choose to, to, to be... A, we can choose to be a believer and absolutely walk in rebellion. It's not going to be a pleasant life, but we could do it. It's not going to be fun. God isn't going to put up with it. Every time he says, do this, we nah, I'm not, I don't, I don't want to do that. Some things are so clear in his word, and yet we'll absolutely violate them. Guess what? God's not going to honor that walk in your life. He may, he may pull you through it. He might get you to that point. certainly loves you enough to try and get you to that point. But he wants obedience out of us. When the eyes of our heart are shut, we lack moral vision. And then I just, a lot of us live like that. We, we don't have discernment. I'll give you an example. Take a young man, been raised in Christian home. You might even know somebody like this. Gone to church his whole life, Sunday school, VBS, children's ministry, youth group. Now he goes off to college. He's on his own at last, finally. Meets a girl. Next thing you know, they start dating. Next thing you know, they start sleeping together. His parents hear about it. They're furious. They're worried. They're upset. What did they do? What can they do? They argue with him. They plead with him. They cajole him. They threaten him. They quote scripture, but to no avail. Why? Because his heart is closed. His heart is closed. The eyes of his heart are shut to the truth about God. And that's one example. There's a thousand examples like that for every one of us. So many times God wants to do something and our heart's closed. We're not willing to listen to that truth. 
and we end up walking in fear, and we end up walking in chaos, and we end up walking in panic. We don't know why the world is going the way it's going. We don't know why things are going the way they're going for us. Because our hearts are closed. Eugene Peterson is the guy who translated Scripture, and they call it, he calls it the Message Bible. At the end of this passage of Scripture in, in Ephesians, he writes this. It's a very, little, just a brief sentence. At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. In other words, there are two radically different ways that we can look at things. Either the world is the center and Christ is on the edges or Christ is the center of our life and everything in the world, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. We push all that stuff to the outside. I can tell you how this works in my life. And it kind of drives me nuts. I'm a very creative thinker. And so I'll be working up in the shop on some little project and I'll think, man, a lot. Okay, so I was going to build a wood splitter last couple years ago. This idea for a wood splitter. So I actually went to where I sketched it all out, drew it out, kind of figured out what size engine, figured all this stuff I could do with this wood splitter. Like you could take and cut a block of wood and, and put a block here and a block there, and as this thing passes back and forth, it could split both of them. We could have stacks going out both sides and blah, 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 blah. And I spent five hours, six hours planning, drawing, sketching. I got this all laid out. to where I got a list of materials now, things that I need, starting to put this all together, and I thought, what an idiot. I burn six cords of wood a year. Who cares? I'm not burning 80 cords of wood a year. I'm burning six cords a year. I could do that with a splitting mall, for Pete's sake. I go to Menards and buy a splitter for, 10, for, for 800 bucks, and I'm, and I'm done with it. I'm done with it. And as I was going through one of those things, I realized I would love to spend all that time on it to accomplish that process. But how much time would I not have for my family if I did that? How much time would I not have for the church? How much time would I not have for reaching out to others? And I would begin, so in my, in my heart, I've begun weighing these things out. It's kind of annoying. It's cool, but it's kind of annoying. As I come up with all these things, and it's like, you know what, that's just going to take too much time. I've got too much other stuff to do. I got too much, can I, do I dare say I got too much kingdom stuff to do? Because it's kind of how I feel. It's like, you know what, Lord, I should, I, I, I got to stop drawing that stuff out. Man, I got to get back to Ephesians. That's not, I'm not trying to give you some type of super spiritual look because that's not what I believe. But I think for every one of us, there gets to be a time when we have to realize, am I investing in everything that's in the world? Because that's going to burn, okay? According to Scripture, that is not going to last. I'm, I'm fine with fixing the roof, really. I don't care. If the sink is leaking, fix it, man. Get on that. Don't tell your wife, look, the toilet's just running, but that's okay because someday it's going to burn. <laughs> this is not a wise plan, Okay? We will end up in marriage counseling. You will be on the other side of the desk. Do not go there. However, 
pouring your entire life into a career so that you can walk away with a gazillion dollars by the time you're 41 and build a mansion and do all this and do all that. The Bible says, thou fool, this very night your soul is required of thee. If you're in a position where you've made money, great. Keep God first. The eyes of your heart would be open to see, okay, let's just say God's God's given you all that money. For what purpose? For what purpose? To further his kingdom or to build ours? What's he want to do with it? There are just different ways of looking at the world around us. And as believers, we need to get that right. Okay, stop at page five again. There's something magical about page five for the last couple weeks. I had about four more pages, but we're not going to go there. God, would you open the eyes of our heart? Would you open the eyes of our heart? We can walk in fear. We think about what's coming up. We can walk in fear. We can walk in confidence, knowing that you, God, are King of kings and Lord of lords. You're the one who sets in kings. You're the one who takes out kings. It doesn't have anything to do with us. We can vote. You're the one who establishes a kingdom. You're the one who, who, who you, your word says, God, that you can guide their hearts. And so today, God, we just ask for your peace to flood our hearts. Lord, we, we bring our president before you. We bring this whole political chaotic mess before you, and we say, God, you take it. You, we don't, we, we can, nothing we can do about it anyhow, God. Our heart, through anything that comes up, is to walk in peace, God. We know that you're a king of kings and lord of lords. You're able to do exceeding abundantly above all we could ask or think. And, and we're just, we're really, we're just, the Bible says we're aliens, we're sojourners. We're just traveling through this earth anyhow. It's not our home. It's not our home. A relationship with you is our home. The land of the living is our home. That's where we're headed. So God, we just ask you, use us, help us to be light in a dark time. Give us wisdom, God, that our eyes of our heart would be open, our soul would be open, we'd be seeking after you, be desiring to walk in your peace. Probably the greatest thing, God, we could do in order to get peace in our life is just shut the TV off. Help us to get into your word and get get into prayer and, and know you better. That's what Paul is praying for the church, that they would know you better. God, that's our prayer, that we would know you better. Bring life to this congregation. Bring peace to this congregation. God, I pray you'd help us to be dispensers of life and peace, no matter where we're at. Folks who are watching online, wherever you're at, that you would be dispensers of hope and peace. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day blessed, peaceful week. Amen? Hallelujah. Have a great day.